Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver, and if you're listening, then you know this show is all about gems in the rough, grindhouse movies, horror movies, science fiction movies, fantasy, uh, all those movies that sometimes seem to fall through the cracks. I'm here to tell you about them and get you to watch them, hopefully. Um, Or, uh, if they suck, uh, have you avoid them at all costs. And I'm now I'm back from Florida, and I have a stack of Blu-rays here that I cannot wait to watch. And I'm going to be talking about these movies uh, on this episode. So these are actually movies that I have, well, now, um, I don't want to say I haven't seen them. I've seen all these movies before, but I have not watched the Blu-rays yet. And sometimes watching a Blu-ray can be a completely different experience than uh, the first time you watched the movie, either on VHS or DVD or however you watched it. Sometimes watching it on Blu-ray, to me at least, brings to light new things in a movie. Uh, And... Having said that, last night, the movie that I watched uh, is one of those movies, uh, because this movie that I'm going to be talking about first, uh, I've watched for the first time on VHS, on bootleg VHS, because it was so hard to find it uncut. And then I watched it on DVD with a pretty good picture quality, updated picture quality, uh, somewhat remastered. And then I just watched the brand new version from 88 Films, and uh, for this movie, and it looks as good, I imagine, as good as it's going to look. And that movie is uh, Anthropophagus, or Pophag- I, I have never known how to pronounce this movie, and I'm sorry to butcher it, but seriously, Anthropophagus, maybe, maybe? I don't know. Um, let's just call this movie, from here on out, I'm going to refer to this movie as the Grim Reaper, which is its American title, because that's easier to say. Um, so, this movie is directed by Joe Diamato, and uh, he was a, a legendary grindhouse horror director, made tons of movies, uh, ranging in quality, and this one here is one of his most well-known of the bunch. Uh, is it his best? No. Uh, some people might may think it is, and that's great uh, for me. Uh, it's funny, every time I watch this movie, every time um, I think, oh, I'm going to watch The Grim Reaper again, thinking, it, this is good, right? And then I'm like, wait, no, this isn't that terribly good. Um, but, okay, it's a video nasty, and uh, watching it again uh, last night, I'm wondering, why Why was this a video nasty? Um, I'll get to that in a little bit. So, uh, The Grim Reaper. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the movie itself, what it's about, and and then I'm going to talk about the special features, and that's the real reason I'm talking about this movie. Uh, Now, this movie does obviously fit perfectly into this show, because this is what the show is all about, is these older movies. Uh, The movie was made in 1980, and... Uh, The plot synopsis here. I'm actually going to read the back of the Blu-ray. Perhaps the most notorious video nasty of all time, 
Grim Reaper is back to deprave and corrupt a fresh wave of horror film viewers. Joe D'Amato cemented himself into genre film history with this slickly directed and sinisterly suspenseful creature feature, which has some unprepared tourists arriving on a desolate Mediterranean island, only to find themselves stalked by a silent cannibalistic Neanderthal. Featuring gory special effects that convinced some British moral guardians that the movie was a legitimate snuff film, there is, little unda- there is little doubting that this timeless terror totem still holds up today. Also boasting a cast of genre legends such as Tisa Farrow from Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, Zora Kurova from Cannibal Farrow, and George Eastman from Rabid Dogs. And George Eastman is the uh, Neanderthal killer guy. He's great, and he's just this big lumbering uh, cannibal, just nasty cannibal dude. Uh, so anyway, this is fully uncut, and uh, previous versions, especially the Grim Reaper, had been severely cut. Uh, this is the uncut version. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately for me, watching this movie, uh, you have to wade through a lot of boring stuff. And sometimes I'm okay with that, but for some reason in this movie, watching... Uh, these actors tromps around this island for the better part of the running time until like the last 15-20 minutes of the movie uh, it was a slog to get through and something with these movies in my personal opinion um, you gotta have something exciting happening every at least every 10 minutes in these types of movies uh, and and in all honesty uh, Joe Diamato's uh, my favorite Joe Diamato movie Beyond the Darkness also known as uh, well, yeah, was, I'm not going to go into the Italian name. It's Beyond the Darkness. That's, I think, his best movie, and that one was very much where it seemed like every ten minutes or so something gross or disgusting or disturbing was happening on screen. Here, it's just lots of talking and walking and talking some more and then talking some more, and, oh, now something finally happened. However, having said that, when it does happen... Oh, it happens. It's it's gross. Uh, so there is a couple of fantastically gruesome set pieces in this movie. Um, uh, I would like to spoil it because they are so great, but I'm going to let you seek out the movie yourself and watch it and find out for yourself. This is an import from 88 Films from the UK, and uh, while the movie itself is not the greatest, I paid $25 for this. Um, limited edition, I believe, limited edition. Uh, here's the real reason to own this movie. The hour and 21 minute long 42nd Street Memories, the rise and fall of America's most notorious block. Uh, it is a documentary, feature-length documentary on this, brand new, about 42nd Street in New York City and how... Uh, how it was so influential in, in having these movies shown for years. And it is so fascinating. It's, in my personal opinion, because I love this, this stuff, it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I'm so fascinated by that time, uh, that time in history, that, that through the 70s and even the 60s, but mainly the 70s and early 80s, where uh, you've got to see it to believe it. With, with the stories that these people that were there tell the, the actors and the porn stars and the directors and the uh, the 
the film companies themselves and the the, uh, the theaters. Uh, there was just a row of theater. Now it's I mean it, it's pretty much Disney owned, and now all it is is Broadway plays on Forty Second Street. But back in the day, uh, it was crime ridden and it was drug infested, uh, seedy theaters showing porn and these weird horror movies uh, and just all these grindhouse type movies and. Uh, I could talk the entire episode about this documentary and, and just the stories that they tell and how cool it is um, with that, that period of time. I wish so bad I could have experienced that a little bit. And I, I did a little bit. One of the downfalls of 42nd Street um, was several things, actually. Uh, AIDS was one of them. Uh, AIDS was one of the reasons why it got cleaned up. Uh, Rudy Giuliani became mayor, and he started to clean things up. And that was one of the first things was we got to clean up 42nd Street as well as Disney being interested in changing it up to a, an actual tourist destination. And I've been there, and it is exactly that. It is a tourist destination. It's beautiful. Um, it's so cool to walk around there. But just to see the pictures of what it used to be, these seedy theaters showing Make Them Die Slowly and Maniac and... Friday the 13th movies, all the old school horror stuff, and then just the cheesiest porn titles, and then like real porn, like people on stage performing, uh, and just on a constant 24-hour basis. And it's interesting to uh, hearing from these different people um, how there were homeless people that would literally, they would buy a 24-hour ticket, and that would get them out of the hot sun, and they would sit in the theater with their belongings, um, either sleeping off a drunk or drugs or whatever it would be. And it got to the point where when uh, the ushers would come in to kick everybody out because it was 24 hours, they would start to get to know when the ushers would come through. So then they'd just make their way to the bathroom or they'd make their way to other areas and then they'd come back in. And it was almost like their little home, which is just great. But just to hear the stories of the people peeing in the theaters and rats in the theaters and cats chasing rats in the theaters and semen in the theaters and the bathrooms and, and muggings and it's just crazy. And then to see the movies that got played and most of the movies that got played there uh, would be, the titles would be changed to, to entice viewers more. So uh, Cannibal Pharaoh, for example, was known as Make Them Die Slowly. Um, this movie here that I'm talking about today, the the Grim Reaper, uh, so many of those movies went under different names, or they would they would just change the names to draw in new crowds, uh, and then they would rename the movie and rename the movie, and uh, it's it was so interesting how they tried to get people to come into the theater. One of the ways was, hey, we offer air conditioning in our theater, um, but there were smoking sections in the theater. Um, anyway, I just I love that period of time, and I love hearing about that. And then when you go to watch Quentin Tarantino, if you ever watch this documentary, which I cannot stress enough, if you listen to this show and you like this type of thing or are interested in it, seek out this documentary. Seriously, it is worth getting a region-free Blu-ray player. They're cheap. You can find them, do your research, and import this thing just to watch this documentary. Um, there is a chance, this is such a well-produced documentary that I cannot imagine that some U.S. studio will not slap this documentary on one of their movies. I could totally see Arrow in the U.S. or Scream Factory or one of these companies uh, pick that, that documentary up because it is so worth it. It's, 
it's certainly better than the movie itself. Um, uh, but anyway, so here's how I kind of got into that scene back when I was, I would say, maybe eight or nine years old, I guess. Um, obviously, that was, that was, it was the beginnings of the end for, for Grindhouse Cinema. Um, and I'm jumping all over the place, but I love talking about this stuff. So I got into this type of thing by going into the VHS store, which is another reason why the 42nd Street theaters went out of business is because people were now able to rent porn and these gross horror movies on VHS and not be awkwardly jerking off in the theater. Uh, they could do it in the privacy of their own home. So uh, that was when we would, my family would go to the local mall. And in the mall, there was this gigantic VHS rental store. And it was a wall of horror goodness. And obviously I was not allowed to rent them at that age, but I would study each and every box. I would read the backs of every box. All the, the big, and the big boxes were on the bottom row. So the big boxes were uh, Zombie Holocaust, which was actually known as Dr. Butcher MD, and Gourmet, Zombie Chef from Hell, and The Toxic Avenger, and... Silent Night, Deadly Night. I studied that one. Oh, I was like, I memorized the back of that big USA video box. Uh, Wizard video with, uh, or Gorgon video with uh, Faces of Death. And uh, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. There are so many movies that I would just extra. Um, and then through the 80s, more and more would pop up. Seven Doors of Death, which is actually Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. Uh, and Fulci's Zombie. Gates of Hell, which is actually also known as City of the Living Dead from Fulci. So, anyway, anytime I would go to a video store, I would just head to the horror section and study the VHS cases. Back then, there was no there was no internet, so this was my uh, this was my my homework, so to speak, is finding these VHS boxes, reading them, and then going to whatever magazine store was in these malls or wherever, and literally reading cover to cover Fangoria as fast as I could because we only had a certain amount of time at the mall. So I would just, every time we would go to the mall, I would pick up the same issue and just keep going until I read the whole thing. That was how I would know about horror. And then obviously sneaking late night edited for television horror movies and recording them onto my old VHS player. So um, anyway, which I think one of the first ones that I ever did that with was Halloween 2, uh, it was a midnight movie on one of the regular channels, and I watched, and The Thing was another one, but I watched those things uh, over and over and over, and they were the edited versions, and I didn't care. But getting back to 42nd Street, so I was on the tail end of, of that scene with the introduction of VHS, uh, and I can just imagine what it would have been like to live in New York City as a young teenager, uh, or a teenager at all, whatever age you would have been, and to experience that, especially if you're into this type of thing, you never knew what you were going to get. It might be pieces, or uh, you just name the, the horror movie. And it's so cool because the, uh, the movies were usually double bills. So uh, you would get uh, The Toxic Avenger paired with some other movie, a war movie, or Ilsa. Ilsa was constantly shown, constantly shown on 42nd Street. And it was coupled with some of the funniest movies that don't make sense. And a lot of these movies, like, they even, one of them on this documentary, they talk about one particular movie was paired with E.T. 
Uh, it might have been Combat Shock, a trauma movie. I forget what movie it was. Or Splatter University. Something to where it's like, families are going to see this, and you're showing a hard R-rated nasty movie, and then E.T. And it's just so weird how things used to be. And they showed pictures of the insides of these theaters, and some of them were gorgeous. I mean, these big... Uh, it reminded me of the Cleveland Agora, actually, with beautiful, uh, beautiful interiors. And uh, But then the, the debauchery that would go on in these places. I love it. It reminds me also of uh, the scene in American World in London where, where uh, David goes into the, uh, the porn show and... and Meatloaf, meat, you know, is in there, and uh, it just—that's what it reminds me of. It's just kind of seedy and gross and shady. Um, I would have loved to be a part of that—that that era to go into those movies, and yeah, it's, I love that stuff. So, anyway, uh, having watched this gives me even more of an appreciation for what Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino were trying to do with their Grindhouse double feature. Uh, that's what was shown back then, and then they had all the trailers, and it was all uh, like. The guy that would voice the trailers was uh, just... The way it was done is not how it's done today anymore at all. And it was so cool how they did it back then in the scratchy film. And uh, s some people chime in about how sometimes the film would be upside down or there would be liquids on the screen or the, the movie would tear or... Because they were showing that constantly over and over and over. And then it would go to another theater and play over and over and over. So anyway, and you would never want to go to the bathrooms... Uh, especially for a number two, because uh, sit, sitting down on a gross toilet with uh, pants down to the ankles is just inviting someone to mug you or murder you or something. So uh, I, I love hearing those stories. It's why I do this show is from that era of time. So pick up the Blu-ray um, or at least try to seek out this 42nd Street Memories, The Rise and Fall of America's Most Notorious Block because it truly is interesting, and it is truly a piece of American history. Uh, and you've seen it in, in numerous movies, Martin Scorsese's movies uh, set in that time. It's just there is a certain feel to uh, these New York City movies that were set in this certain era that is just, um, it's so cool and so old school, and I love it. I love it. So anyway... I'm going to quit gushing about that and, and move on to some other stuff. But anyway, the movie itself, definitely worth checking out, but it is certainly not top-tier grindhouse material, in my opinion. And it could have been. That's what's, that's what's so frustrating is it could have been so good uh, because the, the opening scene is great, and then the last part of the movie is equally great. But that hour in between, slogging through that hour is really tough, and it's just unfortunate. All they would have had to do is add three perfectly disgusting, nasty scenes sprinkled throughout the movie, and this would have been total gem. Uh, but as it is, very watchable. Will I watch it again? Oh yeah, I'll watch it again, and I'll think the next time I watch it, right before I watch it, I'll be like, ooh, I need to watch that again. That's good, I think. And uh, and then I'll have the same reaction to the movie, and then I'll watch the documentary and uh, fall in love with it all over again. So anyway, there you go. Moving on. So the the stack of Blu-rays that I have here to watch, um, now that I am back from Florida, first up is going to be Under the Skin. I want to give Under the Skin a rewatch. Is that a Grindhouse movie? Not in the least. Uh, however, it is 
the best movie from 2014, in my opinion. And it is creepy and eerie and a masterpiece. And I cannot wait to watch it again. Uh, in fact, the first time that I heard of this movie even was when I was watching a trauma movie, uh, Return to Newcomb High, up at the Cedar Lee Theater in Cleveland. And they showed a preview for this movie, and I'm like, that looks probably too good to be true. And I was wrong. It actually was fantastic, and everything about it was brilliant, and I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, because I was, I was mesmerized the first time I saw it, and I wasn't prepared for what it was. Uh, so on the next viewing, I'm prepared for the creepy, uncomfortable ickiness of this movie and the, the masterpiece that it is. So I cannot wait to rewatch that movie. Um, next up is Split Second. This was from... Doesn't say on the back here. I did see this movie in the theater uh, from 1992. I did watch it in the theater. This is one where I got it, you know, back in, my, back in the good old days. In 1992, I was 17 years old, and uh, I had a car, but I was still traveling to and fro with my parents. And this is one actually where I remember my mom and my sister and I went to the mall in Dover, Ohio. And um, I said, I'm going to go watch a movie while you guys shop. And I had it all planned out, down to the runtime. And back then, even in 1992, the, the trailers did not eat up 20 to 25 minutes of the time spent in the theater, which at this point, and I love movie trailers, but at this point, it truly is ridiculous how long you have to sit through trailers to get to the actual movie. I hate it. Uh, I think that three trailers is perfect. Three good trailers before the movie, uh, and then let's get on with the show. But now it's just uh, seven trailers, whatever. But I knew, okay, the movie is the movie is like 91 minutes long. So a couple minutes of uh, trailers and a couple minutes of end credits, I'm in and out of there in 90 minutes. And so I timed it out perfectly, and I said, hey, I'm going to go and watch a movie. Something's on, you know, whatever. And uh, obviously this is an R-rated horror science fiction movie. So off they went to shop, and I went to watch this movie. So that was my own little grindhouse uh, back in the day. Is I, I did that for a split second. I did it for uh, the, the Guardian, and this is the horror movie about the killer tree. Uh, William Friedkin, the... Exorcist director, he made this, and I remember liking it immensely. I haven't watched it since the VHS days, but uh, great movie. And I think uh, Warlock was another one, and Wishmaster could have been another one. I, there was a slew of movies that I would do this with, that I, we would go to the theater, or we would go to the mall, and they would want to be at the mall for about two hours, which gave me plenty of time to go to the theater, watch the movie, and come out, and back then, no cell phones, so there was not texting, you know, what are you watching? It was just me slipping into the theater, watching it, and then when I was done, oh, hey, that was good, whatever I watched. So anyway, Split Second is going to be another one that I watched. Now, I remember liking this, but I don't remember much of it other than Rutger Hauer is in it, and Rutger Hauer is just a badass, and so I'm looking forward to watching it. it I, I kind of think it's something similar to Predator in the City, um, so I guess that would be called Predator 2, wouldn't it? So I think that's kind of what they're going for, but again, it's been so long, I, I don't remember. So that's another one that I'm going to be revisiting really soon. Uh, also going to be revisiting Steven Spielberg's Duel. That's his first movie. 
and one of his, honestly, it's one of my favorite movies from Spielberg. It's fantastic. And I have talked about it on uh, this show, I've talked about it on Movie Freaks, and more than likely I've talked about it on the Megapod shows with, uh, with Steve and Ty as well. So, watch the movie. It's fantastic. Great movie. But it is set in, a uh, movie was made in 1972, I believe, uh, 71 or 72, um, so it, it again it, it has that like I could have totally seen this movie played in uh, on 42nd Street even though it's a PG rated movie it just has that feel that uh, the chase movie kind of what what Quentin Tarantino was going after back in the day um, and then uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 Unhappy Campers and this one here is back in the VHS days I would study this cover because it was so incredibly cool with some hot chick uh, holding a hockey mask and a Freddy Krueger glove and uh, a hatchet or something or a chainsaw, I forget. Uh, but the cover was too good to be true. And then the movie, I watched the movie and it was great. And it was almost, it's not like Sleepaway Camp 1. It's very much a tongue-in-cheek, kind of poking fun of itself type of movie. But it is incredibly violent and gory. Um, only 80-minute runtime, but it... It just there's just constant killing going on in, the, in this slasher movie, and I thought it was great. I loved it. Um, but, if, but you have to go in thinking it's it's a bad movie, but it's a fun bad movie, and it's nothing like the original Sleepaway Camp. That is, in my opinion, at this point, this is that's a classic. This is, I don't know, this the, the closest thing I could compare Sleepaway Camp two and three with would be Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, Jason Lives. That kind of has that knowing humor going on in it that, yeah, we're making this is silly, but, yeah, go with it. It's fun. So I can't wait to watch that. And it's a Scream Factory release, and it has a plethora of extra bonus uh, features on here. A Tale of Two Sequels, Part 1, Back to Camp, featuring interviews with the director and some actresses, uh, director of photography, and all that good stuff. I don't have Sleepaway Camp Part 3, but I will certainly be getting that. Unfortunately for Sleepaway Camp Part 3 is it got butchered by the MPAA, and the only remaining footage is, uh, I think, VHS tape quality. So uh, while I have seen the uncut footage, it's great. It's so gory and nasty. Um, it's, it's hard to watch with the movie, uh, so it, that's unfortunate. But I am going to get Sleepaway Camp 3 on Blu-ray as well because I've got to have all three Sleep, Sleepaway Camp movies. They're, they're great fun. So, um, And then last but not least, another one that I'm going to be watching is Delamorte Delamore. And uh, I'm not going to be talking a whole lot about this movie until I rewatch it. I have not seen this movie since the uh, VHS days. Uh, but this is from the director of Stage Fright and The Sect and The Church. And um, it's something about zombies and uh, in a cemetery. It's also known as Cemetery Man here in the States. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, the Blu-ray shows up, and this is a German import Blu-ray, and uh, the cover literally looks like a porn movie. There is some guy getting ridden by some big busted lady and all sorts of crazy goings-ons on the cover, and I'm like, what? Is that even in the movie? That's nuts. Um, so that was interesting. Like, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and neither was my wife that opened up the uh, the package. So she's like, oh, that's nice. You got some porno. Uh, no, it's not a porno. It's uh, it's some Italian horror movie that they're trying to sell as a porno, I guess. But anyway, uh, so uh, those are the movies that I'm going to be watching here in the very, very near future. I, trust me, this, uh, 
because I was in Florida for a little while, I was not able to watch as many movies as I normally do, but uh, I'm, I'm back on the wagon again, so I'm looking forward to diving into these. And uh, also, I will be doing another Movie Freaks show coming up here soon with Eric Marner. Stay tuned for that. And I'm hoping to get set up uh, another Megapod show with our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. I've been burning through their, uh, their podcast. And i got to tell you, uh, if any listener out there that wants to hear just great banter back and forth uh, about mainly new release stuff, but not always. They've been really branching out lately with doing some classic movie reviews and uh, the I'm So Ashamed segment. I, I love them. I, I love listening to their show. It's a blast, so please check them out. They're on iTunes, and uh, they really are fun and funny to listen to, and uh, they've actually opened my eyes up to some movies that I normally would not have been interested in, so there you go. And then, of course the show that I'm on as well, Movie Freaks. You can find us on iTunes. Please check us out. And uh, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com with any questions or comments or movies I should check out, movies I should avoid, um, all that good stuff. I'm always, always, always looking for these weird niche little movies because no matter how many of them I watch, it seems like there's a hundred more waiting to get watched. And if you don't believe me, just go to YouTube and type in... uh, 80s horror movie or 80s action movie or 70s horror movie or whatever you, lists of movies come up that I've never seen before and they're on YouTube quality is fairly crappy but they're still there to watch so um, anyway I'm still trying to make my way through the sea of of exploitation that is out there and someday when I'm 90 which uh, maybe I'll have seen them all but until then the quest continues to find the gems in the rough and the movies that you should watch and the movies that you should avoid. I'm bringing them to you. So, again, thanks for listening. I'm Eugene Weaver, and until next time.